Tonight, I would like to talk about faithful Christian living. And so when I think of that word faithful, I think of loyalty or trust. So being faithful means that you're trustworthy, dependable, or dedicated. And when I think of that word also faithful, I also think about our relationships, the relationships that we have with our families and our friends, especially with our spouses. I mean, that's one of our vows that we make before God is that we're going to remain faithful to our spouse in the good times and in the bad times. And of course, we want that same faithfulness from our spouses. But we also, as parents, want our children to be faithful to us. And so that's why we spend our time teaching our children to be faithful to others and to be faithful to us. And we're expected to be faithful in our jobs where we work. But then also we expect our employers to be faithful to us as well. My son Daniel started his first real job about a year ago. And I remember talking to him about this job that he has. And he told me that there, he had, there were people that were working there that some wouldn't show up for work or some would call off, some would quit because it was too hard work, I guess. And I told him, I said, Daniel, you have to be a dedicated, faithful worker because what you're not seeing right now is that they're going to see that. Your employer is going to see that dedication, that faithfulness that you have. And you're going to be rewarded for that. You may not see it right now or even too far down the road, but one day you will see that that faithfulness and dedication will pay off. And you'd see doors open up for you. And so during the summer when he was home from school, they had people not showing up and we only live a couple miles down from there and they would call him in the morning and they would ask him, hey Daniel, can you come into work? And right then and there he'd say, yes, I'll come into work. And so he's been dedicated. He's got some great bosses. He loves working there. And because of his faithfulness and his dedication to his job and his employer, he gets rewarded a lot. Sometimes he comes home and tells me about the great lunches that he's had that was paid for by his boss and he's getting more hours when he comes home from school uh, for summer break or school breaks. And so he's loyal and faithful to his job and he works hard. It's the same way with our Christian walk. We serve a faithful God. And this faithful God that we serve we can have trust that he will keep his covenants with us. And so having a faithful God like he is, we should also strive to be faithful to him. So tonight I'm going to look at um, Romans 1, 16 and 17. And so Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so I want to kind of give you a little background of why Paul was writing this in Romans 1 here, verses 16 and 17. In the book of Romans, at this point in Paul's life, he has not been to Rome yet. 
But when we read many of Paul's writings, we do see that he has a deep desire to go and preach the gospel in Rome. And he wanted to visit them. And he's written this many times. We see that if you go back to Romans 1.11, we see that he told them that he longed to see them. He had a passion. He had a desire for the Roman Christians. But God had other plans for him. How many times do you think about that? We may have a passion to do something, but then God has another plan for us. And so we, like Paul, we shouldn't sulk about it. We shouldn't get upset about it. But what we should do is, like Paul, we should embrace the plans of God that he has for us for this moment. And then we use that for his glory, just as Paul did. So Paul wrote the letter to the Roman Christians to encourage them in their faith in Christ. But he also wanted to write to them to stop the threat of division that was happening in Rome between the Gentile and the Jewish believers. And we also see in the book of Romans how to live a faithful Christian life. This is something that Paul talks about a lot in the book of Romans. And so when Paul wrote Romans, uh, he was in Corinth, Greece, and he was on his third missionary journey. So he probably wrote the book of Romans in about 55 to 57 AD is when he probably wrote it. Romans is also considered by many as Paul's greatest work. And it has a deeper analysis of Jesus and the Christian faith than any other of his letters. And unlike some of the other letters that Paul wrote, the house churches in Rome were not having any problems for Paul to solve. A lot of the letters that we read to the churches that Paul wrote, they were having some type of internal conflict or some type of issue that Paul had to take care of. But there were, any, were none except for the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so there really wasn't anything. So Paul wrote this letter to the Roman Christians and he focused out laying out the simple, basic gospel of God's plan of salvation for them. And he also wrote about how both the Jew and the Gentile can be made right with God. And when we read through Romans, we see that the theme of Romans is that God offers a relationship with everyone who comes to Christ by faith. So Paul starts off Romans 1 by introducing himself. And then by the time he gets here to verses 16 and 17, this is what many scholars consider to be the thesis statement of the book of Romans. And like I said, these two verses... He addresses both the Jewish and the Gentile believers. And it is his conclusion that God desires his people to live by faith in Jesus. And so at the end of verse 17, we see that Paul wrote, The righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul here is talking about living a faithful life to God living by faith in a faithful life. 
And here he quotes the Old Testament. He's quoting Habakkuk 2.4, where the prophet wrote, and if you go to Habakkuk 2.4, he wrote, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And Paul actually quotes the righteous shall live by faith one more time in Galatians. He quotes it in Galatians 3.11. And then we also see that the writer quotes this of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews quotes this in Hebrews 10.38. And so in context, when we look at Habakkuk uh, 3.4, we see that he was writing about the nation of Babylonia. And at that time, they became puffed up or prideful. And their pride was unrighteous. It was an unrighteous pride. And so the prophet was saying that the unrighteous will face the judgment of God. But then he contrasted the righteous or the faithful and says that they will live by faith in God. And they're not going to face the judgment that the unrighteous will face. So here in Romans, Paul is emphasizing the necessity of faith in order to receive the righteousness of God. You see, God's people had failed in trying to attain salvation by being good and obeying God's laws. And so the prophet's prophecy pointed to the new covenant that God would make through Jesus Christ, which is a promise of salvation, not based on what we can do, but what Christ did on the cross. One more fact about Romans 1.17 is that this is the verse that ignited the Protestant Reformation and the verse that God used to convert Martin Luther. Martin Luther was quoted as saying, For I hated that word righteousness of God, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. And so when Martin Luther read... Romans 1.17, it wasn't then until he realized that it's not what he could do, but what Christ has done that justifies us and that we as believers in Christ can live a faithful life. The righteous shall live by faith places the emphasis on the type of life a believer in Christ will demonstrate. When we're a believer in Christ, a passionate follower of Christ, and we're changed from the inside out, we begin to want to live a faithful life. And so the first thing I want to point out is that when we read Romans 1, 16 and 17, we see that God's power can save everyone. God's power can save everyone. Now this doesn't mean that everyone's going to be saved, but look what it says in verse 16 before that. It says, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then right before that, Paul wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
And so when he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what Paul is talking about is that he's talking about that he's not disgraced or humiliated by the gospel of Christ. And he tells us why. He says, because it is a salvation, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Have you ever been ashamed of someone or maybe you've been ashamed of something that you said or did to somebody? You know, it's a sense of someone letting you down that you might have had or you letting someone down. That's the kind of shame that Paul's talking about when he says, I'm not ashamed. So he's not disappointed or he's not let down by the gospel. So when Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, he means that he's not let down by it and he's confident that his trust in the gospel and in Christ is not misplaced. There's no disgrace in declaring it. And so then we see that why Paul's not ashamed of the gospel centered on a crucified Savior. Because he knows that the gospel which is the good news of Jesus Christ, has inherent power. And just like Paul, we can have confidence in our faith and in the gospel of Christ. And we can boldly proclaim the truth that God has revealed to us in his word. And we can proclaim it without fear. And we can rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit will guide us in the truth of the gospel. I always talk about our youngest daughter, Elena, and she is not afraid or ashamed to proclaim the gospel. She will tell anybody that wants to hear her about Jesus and about the gospel. And I love that about her, and she's always talking about it, and she's always asking questions about it. And if she hears something from the Bible, she'll ask us questions about it. She loves memorizing the verses that they do in school. And she just loves to tell everybody about Jesus. And I think that's a great thing. And so she's kind of a picture, and I look at it, that she's a picture of somebody that's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes I think that we try to hide our faith, or we try to hide our faith in Christ. And we think that we're going to offend somebody. Or we think that we're going to make somebody mad. But I think a lot of times there are a lot of people that are open to hear about the gospel and a lot of people that that would like to hear about Jesus. And so I think if we take a look at that and we think that we're not ashamed of the gospel, then that's exactly what Paul was talking about here. And so because we have that complete confidence and we're not ashamed of the gospel, we can be assured that the gospel is God's power to save everyone who believes. The gospel is good news. It's great news. It's the good news concerning Jesus Christ. It's the great news concerning the way of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's how we're saved. What we also see in Romans is that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Now, not everyone will believe the gospel, 
But everybody is invited to believe. Everyone's invited. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That anybody can come and believe. And so Paul wrote in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a great truth. Everyone has a chance to call upon the name of the Lord and believe and be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. The gospel is for everyone who has faith in Christ. Even as Paul says here, even the Gentiles. Now this would have been a very hard truth for the Jews to hear at this time. Because after all, they knew that they were God's chosen people. And they thought that they were going to be the only ones that were going to be saved. But we are children of God because God called us. And because of his great love for us. This is why we should want to faithfully follow God. Paul knew this truth. That the gospel is for anyone who believes. He lived that truth. He saw firsthand the power of the gospel. He experienced it on the road to Damascus. On his way to persecute Christians. So Paul here is emphasizing that salvation is for anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so the Jews believed that the Gentiles could only be saved by becoming Jews. And so what Paul's telling them is that the gospel is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles, anyone who's come to Christ in faith. Because at that time, and even now, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. And so the gospel has saving power. And I've always thought about this, that, you know, we may be shocked to see who's in heaven. You know, the gospel of Christ can change anyone, even the worst of the worst. We've seen it all over the place. It doesn't matter what you do or what you have done. The gospel is for you. And Paul knew firsthand the power of the gospel that can change someone's life. He was a radically changed man. He went from a murderer to a missionary whose mission it was to preach Jesus everywhere he went. And Paul, in 1 Timothy 1.15, even called himself the chief of sinners. But he was changed from the inside out all because of Jesus. And so tonight, that's what I want to tell you, is that it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what you have been through. You can have a change in your identity tonight. You can have a change in your purpose and in your attitude. You can be changed from the inside out and be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the power of God for salvation and that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you can be forgiven tonight. And you could be made right with God tonight. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We just celebrated Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're redeemed through the blood of Jesus. 
And redemption means that we're free from sin through Jesus Christ. What it doesn't mean is that we're free to sin. It means that we're free from sin. It doesn't mean also that we're going to all of a sudden stop sinning or stop struggling with things. It just means that through God's transforming power in us and through the Holy Spirit, that we're going to begin to hate our sin. We're going to look at it differently. And we're going to not want to be held captive by our sin anymore. If you go in the Old Testament, we see Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And that's what the Exodus is all about. And it was through the power of God that they were set free. Just like us today, we were enslaved to our sin and death. And through redemption in Christ, the price of our sin and death was paid in full. Amen. I love that. So then when we also read in Romans 1.17, Paul says, For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And that's in the ESV version, but I actually like the New Living Translation better when it says, From start to finish by faith. It makes it a little bit easier to understand the context of why Paul wrote this. And so we have to remember that Paul was writing to the Christians in Rome. And at this point, they've never met him. Christianity was in Rome at this time, but Paul had never been there. I think it's a fascinating um, event of how Christianity got to Rome. If you read Acts 2 about the Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and they began preaching uh, and teaching Jesus to all the people around them and people from Rome were there. And so then they would take that gospel message back to Rome and it flourished. And so Paul was writing to these people even though they never met him, but they've heard about him. And so, as I said, in the first chapter of Romans, Paul here is taking time to introduce himself because he thinks he's going to be going there soon. So he's preparing himself for a future visit. And so I'm sure many of the people that were there probably heard maybe some horror stories about him or maybe some wrong things about him. So he's just letting them know exactly who he is. And so he took all of this time in the first part of Romans to introduce himself, to tell him who I am. And so in verse 17, Paul's reaching the main point of, of his introductory, letting the Christians in Rome know that he is fully confident and not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul also knows that these Christians here in Rome were facing persecution and they were facing oppression from Rome because of their faith in Christ. So Paul is assuring them that there's no power that is greater than the power of God. No power in Rome is a match for the power of God. And so he, and he tells them that the righteousness of God is revealed from start to finish by faith. He's telling them to continue to trust in God from the start of their faith to the finish. And to continue to rely on his mighty power as they continue to grow in their faith and lead faithful lives. And all to say that is that Paul writes this 
Because the gospel response is a faithful life. In Romans 1.17, we see Paul write, the righteous shall live by faith. So think about it. What does that mean to us? What does it mean to us personally in our daily lives? What does it mean for us to live by faith and to live a faithful life? And living by faith means that we daily live out our identity in Christ. To live by faith means that we live faithfully trusting Jesus who loved us so much to the point of dying in our place on the cross so that we could be saved. That's what living a faithful Christian life is. And I read a story about a young man who applied for a job as a farmhand. And when the farmer asked for his qualifications, he said, I can sleep when the wind blows. And so the farmer had a puzzled look on his face, but he liked the young man for whatever reason, and so he hired him. And then a few days later, the farmer and his wife were awakened at night by a violent storm. And so the farmer began to worry, and so he quickly began to check things to make sure everything in his farm was secure. And so they walked over, and they found that the shutters of the farmhouse had been securely fastened. There was a good supply of logs that had been set next to the fireplace. And then they looked over, and the young man was just there sleeping, sound asleep. And so then the farmer and his wife, they started to inspect the outside of their property, and they went out by the barn and they found that the farm tools had been placed in a storage shed, safe from any elements. He looked and the tractor was moved into the garage part of the barn and the barn was securely locked. He even checked all the animals and all the animals were accounted for and calm. All was well. And it was at that point that the farmer understood the meaning of this young man's words. I can sleep when the wind blows. Because the farmhand did his work loyally and faithfully when the skies were clear. He was prepared for the storm when it broke. So when the wind blew, he was not afraid and he could sleep in peace. We too can live this kind of faithful life to the Lord. We can sleep peacefully and not have any fears because we know that the Lord will be with us in the good times, and even during the storms in our lives. Faithfulness is the key to God's blessings. In Proverbs 28, 20, it says, A faithful man will bound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. The promise is what faith brings. The result is a faithful life. We see so many promises of blessings in the Bible to those who lived a faithful life. We read about Abraham, who was a man of faith, who trusted God, left his family, traveled 450 miles from home until he came to Canaan, which was the future home of Israel, and it was by faith that he lived in the land. We also read about the faithful life of Isaac, whom God promised to establish his covenant with, his everlasting covenant. We also read about Ruth, who was a great woman of God and a woman of faith, 
that was living in the time of the judges. And at the time of the judges, it was a horrible time for them. It was a horrible time of moral decay, religious confusion. No one did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But she lived a faithful life. And she was not only faithful to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but she was also faithful to God. We also read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was chosen by God and was the human instrument with whom God brought his son into the world. She lived a life faithful to the Lord, even when she did not completely understand what God was doing in her life. And then we see Paul, the apostle of faith, a former persecutor and murderer of Christians who had a real encounter with the risen Savior and became a passionate follower of Christ. And so as we read through the Bible and as we look at our church fathers, we see so many that we can learn how to be faithful Christians and how to be faithful followers of God. Living a faithful life gives us a new life. It gives us a life in Christ. So how do we live a faithful life? Well, we have the confidence and we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so it's because of this that we can live a faithful life daily serving the Lord. There's a few things that I like to say in our growth work tonight. And the first thing is, is that faithful followers of Christ feed upon God's word. I remember on the Bob Duco show not too long ago, we had an author on the show and um, his name was Nate Pickowitz. I put it on the um, app, and he wrote a book called How to Eat Your Bible. And I have it at home, and that's a great title for it, How to Eat Your Bible. How to dive into God's Word and, and just, just give you nourishment. Because God's Word is a story of love and redemption. And so when I read that book, um, How to Eat Your Bible, I thought of 1 Timothy 4, 6, where it says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. So Paul is telling Timothy to be a faithful servant who is nourished in the word. If you think about nourishment, it's necessary for us to grow, it's necessary for our health, and it's necessary for us to keep in good condition. Just like staying in God's Word daily is nourishment for our soul, and it helps us daily as we live a faithful life. Secondly, faithful followers of Christ are in constant prayer. In Acts 12, 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is when Peter was thrown in prison, and this was after James was executed, and instead of running and hiding and feeling sorry for themselves, the church was in constant prayer for Peter. They formed in home groups, and they prayed for Peter. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what a faithful life looks like. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing. That means 
to pray at all times. Pray for everything and, and anything going on in your life or somebody else's life. And to give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances. Finally, faithful followers of Christ are regular in worship. In Acts eleven twenty six, it says, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Church is important. It's important for us to gather and worship and hear God's word with other believers. And while Paul and Barnabas were here in Antioch at this time, it's, it says that they were committed to the local church there. Uh, Paul and Barnabas stayed there for actually a year, and they taught these churches about Christ. Now, they could have left at any time, but it was very important for them to be there and to preach and teach about Jesus. It was very, very important to them. And then in Hebrews 10.25, it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we gather together as the body of Christ, we share our faith with each other. We strengthen one another. We see how the world is going today with all the struggles and, that people are having, and we see addictions and pain and suffering. And Christians aren't immune to that. So it's important for us to gather together and help each other out, to pray with and for one another. Because the closer that we get to the return of Christ, we will face even more struggles and pain. So when these trials come to us, it's very important even now for us not to miss gathering together as a church family. We should be taking these times to make a greater effort to be faithful in our attendance in the house of the Lord.